1: some of you know i was adopted so i didn't meet my birth mother until i was a middle-aged man she died this year but thank god i recorded a series of interviews with her you're about to hear one of them it explains a lot and not just about me
2: i had class in the daytime 10 to 12 1 to 2
0: and i worked at night 11 to 7. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard.
1: Hi, I'm Stuart Watson. Welcome to Man Listening. Helen Brett Schmidt was a career nurse in the state of Georgia. She gave birth to three children, all with the same father, the first was a so-called illegitimate bastard. That would be me. My interview with my birth mother introduces you to a country girl who moved to the big city of Atlanta and got the shock of her life when she got pregnant with me. Did you date, like did you date in high school or if, you, if, if somebody wanted to go out?
2: Oh, at that point in time, All you had to do was she would say, well, you need to be in by certain, certain time.
1: Did you date anybody then?
2: I don't remember dating anybody at that time.
1: But, I mean, did you have a boyfriend in high school or in college?
2: In high school, I dated uh, people that was in the church. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But you didn't go anywhere with them. Except to, uh, if I was gonna have a date, my cousin had the car, and he he would tell Daddy, I'll look after her. So we, I was always having a double date, never single date, no. Then when we were in church at a Sunday night, there was a fella I, I really did not like. I, I, dad said, you can go to the movie with him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like it, but he was okay with dad. <laughs> and,
2: to, and to go to the movie, you just, you know, that sort of thing. Daddy would laugh at me because I'd go. <laughs> 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 so,
1: so what I'm getting at is, before you met Scott, had you had a serious relationship yeah, with him? I,
2: I think so. I think I would say, That was a committed kind of thing, yeah. But all that meant was that you liked them and they liked you. It didn't mean that you was going to have any more of them. Right. It was that sort of thing.
1: Did you all kiss?
2: Yeah. You could kiss, you know, whole hands. That was it.
1: That's about it.
2: Oh, it was it. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. Helen didn't have time to date once she got to nursing school in Atlanta. She was either working, studying, or sleeping 24-7.
2: It was, it was truly uh, a, a work, go to school, because when I was rotated to OB, mm-hmm. I had class in the daytime, 10 to 12, 1 to 2, and I worked at night 11 to 7 as like a, a staff Person in in Baptist, it was it was hard. You didn't have time to worry about seeing anybody or whatever.
1: What hospital did you all staff?
2: Georgia Baptist.
1: Georgia Baptist Hospital. See that? And that hospital was
2: Georgia Baptist Hospital School of Nursing.
1: It's like Grady in the sense that it's in downtown Atlanta. Georgia Baptist is downtown Atlanta. Yeah, and so then. What happened your senior year? You were expected to, like, do rotations, right? And learn the different...
2: We started rotations at six months.
1: Wow. So you were in different... So you might be in OB, pediatrics.
2: But, but the senior years, the, the very last year, junior and senior years, you started specialty rotations like psychiatry and... Uh, pediatrics. I can remember a bit late, and by the time I had gotten to, th- I-, I was working for them and not having no classes.
1: And where was psychiatry?
2: Central State Hospital.
1: Where was that?
2: Millageville.
1: Had you ever heard about that place before? Oh, yeah. What did you heard about it? <laughs> it was
2: overstaffed, I mean, understaffed. The, the students came back from down there talking about the doctors that on the staff couldn't speak English, uh, that they, they would be drinking if forget get to lock the unit they were leaving. Just real bad things about
1: When you say, they would be drinking,
2: that's the physicians.
1: The physicians would drink on the job.
2: Yes. And, and, see, and if they
1: forgot to lock the unit, what's the significance of that? What would happen? The
2: patients that were not supposed to be in an unlocked situation were, were or were, they were supposed to be in a locked environment, the patient was. And they're supposed to have a key on there. To, when they come in, they have to unlock. And when they go out, they lock the unit back. So
1: were they worried about the patients escaping? Yes. Because they might be a danger to themselves or others. Yes, no. they
2: were. They were disoriented a lot of times, not knowing where they're supposed to go. or do. They could get hurt.
1: And these were people who were psychotic in some cases. Oh right?
2: yeah, oh yeah, very much so. And and these were the units also that had uh, shock treatments and
1: uh, ECT.
2: Yeah, and also they. They had uh, shock treatments using insulin shock at that time, way back then. Wow. Um,
1: What did you hear back from people about the reputation of the patients? Like, what kind of work environment was this going to be?
2: A lot of hard work. But see, we were allowed to go back to Georgia Baptist every other weekend while I was there.
1: But what I'm getting at is, were you fearful for your safety?
2: No. I don't... Because we weren't la- allowed in real combative units, no. Right.
1: Were you dreading going through this rotation? Oh, or?
2: terrible. Terrible.
1: Why? I, I, why? The,
2: there was not enough staff to care for the people that was there. You take the ones that were mentally ill and physically ill. And they, they had a huge ward with patients all the way around. Beds. Beds with patients. And, like this, and you go to
1: check. Like what? What do you mean when they, they were, were
2: out of it? They, 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 they were some of them dead. They didn't even know it. Uh, they so they
1: had they could lie there dead, for how long?
2: I don't know. They might have been overnight. Who knows? When you get there, and, it, and th- there was a medicine you give to make people have a blood pressure. Their blood pressure is so low, you want to bring it up. If it gets out of the vein, it causes huge blisters. That's what we'd find. We'd find that. Uh,
1: Was that because of uh, out and out malpractice or lack of staffing, or it it was basically the same thing, I guess? They didn't have- I
2: saw it as nobody there. Nobody there to help them. Uh, By far, but.
1: But wait, what was your reaction when you arrived there and you saw the blisters? I want
2: to go home.
1: I want to go home.
2: The behavior of of the very sick, of the very sick, uh, did feel, you felt fearful. You felt like they might come at you.
1: HAD YOU EVER SEEN ANYONE THAT MENTALLY ILL?
2: NO. OH, NO. ABSOLUTELY NOT.
1: BECAUSE IF SOMEONE IN Swainsboro WERE THAT MENTALLY ILL, WHAT WOULD HAPPEN TO THEM? IF SOMEONE IN Swainsboro WERE PSYCHOTIC, WHAT WOULD HAPPEN?
2: WELL, YOU KNOW, I HATE TO SAY, BUT THAT HASN'T CHANGED A LOT.
1: I MEAN, IT'S REALLY DISTURBING TO SEE THAT THIS IS A FELLOW HUMAN BEING. YEAH.
2: THEY DIDN'T HAVE THE MEDICATIONS NOW. THAT WAS BACK IN THE DAYS OF Thorazine. RIGHT. Uh, Those kinds of,
1: which was kind of a blunt instrument. It'd knock you out.
2: Yeah. The thing that, also, I was the reason I wanted to mention about uh, going back to Atlanta every other weekend. The Atlanta Journal was carrying a series of
1: articles. The Atlanta Journal Constitution would go on to win a Pulitzer Prize exposing the mistreatment of the mentally ill patients at Milledgeville.
2: I think I told you about this, about what was happening at Central State, that the administrator was an alcoholic and spent more time in in treatment than he did an administrator, and that They were doing experimental drugs on the patients without any kind of uh, permission from family. They were doing sterilizations on patients, lining them up, put one through, take one out, just round, round. So, anyway.
1: So you read about it in the paper and then you would go there
2: and know that th- these patients could be the ones they're talking about.
1: And so when you read it in the paper, you didn't say, oh, well, that's not happening. They're just making that up.
2: No, I believed every bit of it. I believed every bit of it and more and more.
1: Because you saw it.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Oh. So you might not have seen the sterilizations or some part of that. but. What that you saw in the paper, did you actually, could you have told them firsthand, will I witness this, this, and this?
2: I didn't give them medication, so I can't tell what, you know, I I did not participate in the administration. What
1: what about the, what did, what was in the paper that you saw firsthand?
2: That was the sterilization where we had to get them ready and they go to the OR, but they're standing outside that door till one is, you know, sterilized. There was a ward of children that had a lot of needs, physical needs. And they they didn't function, see, in their age. they, They were handicapped in so many ways. We had to put on a state dress, take off our uniform, put on the state dresses like the patients wore and put them in the shower. And help get them uh, clean. They ha- had shower day uh, for different areas every day. And we'd go in there and think, will I make it to the weekend? Will I make it?
1: So, of all the rotations, was that the toughest?
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it was. Now, now you're, you mean, uh, when I went back to pediatrics, rotation at i was at georgia baptist uh one of the first admissions i had there was a little boy that had leukemia and we had three months rotation there on pediatrics and while i was there the third admission he had near my rotation in he died with leukemia so i had seen him three times three admissions and he died and i thought i will not do pediatrics either no that That's too hard. That is so hard to lose a six-year-old to leukemia. Because we celebrated his birthday on one admission day. Mm. It was terrible, terrible.
1: Yeah, because you get invested, it's impossible.
2: Oh, you, it's awful, it's awful. And and see, that kind of thing, in Central State, the, the ones that were, uh, had, alcoholism addiction diseases was on the same unit now as those that had real psychotic behavior
1: so they were mixed in yes it was like a general population yes.
2: like that male admission ward where scott was right we had days uh time during the day where uh that we would go over and supposed to dance with the patients in an audit, um like a gym or something. And this one, every time we go over there, this patient had a runny nose, and he'd say, nurse, I want to dance with you. Nurse, I want to dance with you. And I'd keep going up. And we were graded on how well we participated now in that kind of thing. And, and I thought, Lord, please don't let the instructor see me going up further and further up the bleachers and hit him dancing, nurse won't dance with you. Oh, I, I didn't want, I felt, I didn't, I didn't want to participate.
1: So you were expected to socialize. Yep. I mean, why? Did they think that had some kind of therapeutic effect?
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh. okay. That you were helping the patients by that.
1: What did the nurses think about that?
2: Well... There was such varied reaction. I I think to that is that some of them thought it's going to soon be over. No, no big deal. Another, another would say, "Come on, have fun. You have fun doing this." It just I couldn't see fun. Just couldn't.
1: And Lorraine's mother, Natalie, was an RN in Brooklyn, and she said she had a friend who was attacked, was horribly beaten by someone on that psychiatric, didn't anybody think that that might be dangerous?
2: I don't think they did to that. They thought that we were not put on uh, in areas that would be uh, dangerous. Now, we would go to. Well, let
1: me get this straight, though. Basically, these are all women, right? Nurses. Oh, yeah. Who are dancing with all men. Yeah some of whom are psychotic yeah. and have been violent.
2: But that, well,
1: what could possibly go wrong with that? I know, I know. I mean, in hindsight, that sounds just crazy.
2: That's right.
1: I mean, at some point, somebody, the light bulb went on and said, listen, whatever therapeutic effect this has is not worth it, this is not. You know, it, it, in retrospect, it seems like a terribly sexist thing, you know, that the nurses are there as sort of uh, stewardesses or hospitality
2: well we helped bathe and we helped admission that they had lice treatment and all this kind of stuff you mean bathe men huh
1: you bathe men no
2: oh uh, no, no okay
1: but i mean yeah you had to do a lot of things but i'm talking about this sounds like you're supposed to be some sort of uh, morale improvement person and i don't sudden, know
2: what they called it I don't know what our instructors called
1: it. I mean, you know, the, uh, the volunteers they used to call candy stripers, you know, yeah. who were, yeah. Nowadays, you tell a nursing student that, first off, many of them are male, and second of all, they'd say, that's just crazy, you know. They couldn't imagine doing anything like that. Right. Georgia's notorious Central State Mental Hospital started as the Georgia State Lunatic Asylum. That's where my mother as a nursing student met my father who was a patient on a court ordered detox from alcohol. When did you first do you remember first meeting Scott? When did you meet Scott?
2: February
1: 1958.
2: And and hit the hit on the mail admission war, where they were having this recreational time, the students went over and they were dancing with the
1: Patients. What what room or what building would that was
2: that? It was like a, a, a auditorium of a, a recreational area.
1: So it was recreation time, and we how, doing, how did we
2: we're doing the bunny hop? I remember doing the bunny hop because he talked about letting my I had to, your hair had to be always off your collar, at Georgia Baptist, off the collar. So I had it up in a ponytail. And he talked about my ponytail jumping, doing the bunny hop.
1: Let's get this straight. Three children, including me, nine grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren owe their existence to Helen doing the bunny hop at the lunatic asylum.
2: And then...
1: Did he see you first, or did you see him? I don't
2: even remember seeing him till there was a time where you danced... But you had to have so much space for I remember that dancing, him asking me to dance, and you know, I didn't think anything about it from any other patient. really didn't.
1: So you didn't approach him; he approached you.
2: In fact, he did not that day, uh, and I never really knew. I know what he said. He said uh, something to the effect, "I'm getting out." Like the weekend or this this kind of day, can I can I call you? And I I don't remember even responding. I can't remember because I was so uh, not uh, you know that was outside of what I was used to uh, being asked. I I didn't think about it. And no
1: other patient had ever
2: no. No and, and, ask
1: you for your number no, and, and I <laughs> didn't said, see it as the dating pool I, I said, guess I don't
2: know I, I live in the dorm <laughs> and, and the next next thing I remember was he called me
1: and when you met him did you think what did you think nothing you didn't, didn't think anything he, no. you just thought that was a patient no
2: didn't didn't think nothing
1: you didn't think well this is a good looking man or
2: not in state clothes i no, i don't think so i don't, I don't remember it no do and, not remember
1: and so when he called you what was your reaction
2: just laughing and he was saying um
1: you were laughing or he was laughing
2: i was laughing because other students the classmates were laughing that he had called you know You know, he said he was going to call. I said, yeah, but who expected him to call? You know, laughing about it. And that's that's the thing I remember.
1: So that hadn't happened before, where the patients would...
2: I I don't know anybody else. that. I can't tell you that anybody else did.
1: So it wasn't a common thing for...
2: Now, I know the, the administrator, the alcoholic administrator, he yeah. had a son that got a nursing student pregnant, but that was, you know.
1: He, he was a, but, he, but his son wasn't a, his son was not a patient. No,
2: wasn't a patient. Right,
1: so it was not common for the patients other than these dances.
2: But see, it wasn't uncommon for the patients to say I'm gonna get out tomorrow. You know, everybody says I'm getting out. They, they all have that like going to jail, you know. I'm getting out tomorrow. I'm
1: getting out here. There's a lot of wishful thinking.
2: But then he called and then he said, "Uh, I'm going to send you a record. And it's a Frank Sinatra all the way. And did he? Yeah. And then he says.
1: Did uh, you have a record player? Did you play it? No. So he sent you the record?
2: I'm almost sure he did yeah I remember getting something, and i I can't remember then he wants to come down to visit and I said he happened to show up at lunchtime near that building where we were going to be after lunchtime, and I, I had been upstairs, another ward where the mentally and physically physically disabled, those that were so sick. That with the blisters all, and I came down that day at lunch, and he was there, and I said, I'm going home. I'm not staying any longer. This is awful, and I was just crying, and he said, no, you've come too far. You've come too far. You can't do that. You cannot. You can come up this weekend, and I'll take you with my family, and we'll go to church. And that's the way it began, it, uh, that I went to Atlanta that weekend. He came to the dorm, picked me up Sun, Sunday morning. I, no, I think we may have gone out Saturday, went to the park, I think. And that that was when he said, I'm going to make you fall in love with me.
1: What park did you go to?
2: I can't remember the name of it now, but if, if you called, I probably would remember.
1: Was it near his home?
2: Not very far. I don't think it was real far.
1: Then, when he said, "I'm going to make you fall in love with me," what was your reaction when you? I were-
2: think I laughed. <laughs> you know, real fun. Uh, still, the the hardest thing I'd ever seen, say, see, outside my grandfather dying, was this poor soul upstairs in that that Jones Building that was dying and, and nobody paid any attention to how awful it was for all the blisters because that medicine had infiltrated the tissue. I, that was terrible. It was terrible how I felt.
1: My biological father talked my mother into sticking with nursing. She made a career of it, but her parents did not trust this man. At what point did you all Did your parents meet Scott when, how long, when, when did they meet him? Now, being the oldest girl, they would probably say, (laughs) you know, being the firstborn, did they like Scott? No. Why not?
2: Daddy said he knew he would hurt me from the beginning.
1: In what way?
2: He, he, he felt like he would hurt me by a relationship that was outside the bounds it should have been. He really did feel that way. He said he was too much older than you. He was too worldly. He did not, he didn't feel like that Scott cared enough to, about me to be in that kind of relationship.
1: I mean, it turned out he was right. I mean, your father was pretty perceptive, but there are a lot of parents who are just kind of protective, you know. They're...
2: Uh, and he was protective, oh yeah. But he didn't want me hurt, and he felt like, but he didn't, and when I called him at, at, in that late December to tell him that Scott and I were getting married, it just put the, way, the sails right out from under him because he was thinking I was coming home. I had to my job. I was coming home and he was gonna get me a car.
1: You guys were dating and you were still in nursing school. So you met him in February and y'all started going out. I was born in April. So when did you figure out you were pregnant? When did, when was it that you were like, oh, I must be pregnant?
2: Sometime that summer, I can't tell you when in the summer.
1: I mean, do you, do you have a specific memory where you're like, oh.
2: I don't know how to answer that because there's, there are things that I absolutely cannot recall. Uh, I pushed it too far for too long, and I can't, can't, uh, I can't remember some things. I, I really don't.
1: Because that was like a shock.
2: Uh, more than that, more than that. And it was. It's almost like having post-traumatic stress disorder, for, you know.
1: Because
2: it was so hard. It was just so hard. And he, you know, it's like my daddy said the same thing when I told Scott I was gonna leave school when I was on psychiatry affiliation. When I, t- when Dad and I talked and all that, and, th- and see, that was so hard for him. And because he said, you wanted so much this this to be a nurse. That's what I wanted, was to be a nurse. And he said, we're going to work this out. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He sounds tr- tremendously supportive.
2: Broke his heart. Just broke his heart.
1: Yeah. However... I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I didn't mean, I'm sorry.
2: He was so angry at Scott then. He was really angry at him. But after we married, he never said one thing about Scott. He did not. And after years, and I said, I don't understand how you know, because I just rant and rave about his Scott's behavior. And Daddy wouldn't say nothing. I'd come back home, move back, you know, and all that. But the years later, he said, I tell you, if I had said something about him, you would have hated me. It's all right for you to say it, but it's not all right for me. So he didn't. He didn't
1: because he was a better man than most, because a lot of men would say, I'm gonna kill him, you know.
2: Not after I married him. Yeah. And you know, he welcomed him in the house, and, and uh, they talked stuff, and when daddy had that property, this had to rebuy this property and all, and Scott tried to talk, he, you can get it back in the court system, he said, Mr. B, you can get it. And and There's no big deal. Your. And Daddy said, the scripture says not to go to to law against your brother. And he would not go to court. He wound up buying the property a second time.
1: There are a lot of Baptist Christians who feel that way. Yeah. But Scott, being a lawyer, knew that he had legal rights that he could have. So he took off, right? When you told him...
2: He was going to the, ball, to the Braves game that night.
1: In the summer. And was yeah. he going with you or with...
2: No, I had to work.
1: Was he going with who? I
2: don't know where he was going with anybody or not.
1: So he was going to the Braves game.
2: And um, he would... I think he said he'd call me.
1: Uh, where were you when you told him?
2: At the dorm.
1: And what was his reaction?
2: He said something like you can't be married at George Baptist. Um, So he said, we'll work this out, we'll work this out.
1: Did he seem?
2: I don't remember. Right. I don't remember it explicitly.
1: So he, he went the ball game, you went to work, and then what happened? Nothing. So you didn't hear from him?
2: No. And I kept calling the house. Uh, and I, and it, finally, I got a hold of Uncle Bill. Because Scott lived in that downstairs apartment in that house that his mother and he lived in. The, when I finally got Uncle Bill, he said, we don't know where he is.
1: Now, did anybody else know? Did his family know you were pregnant? or? No. They just knew that all of a sudden he took off. Right. And so...
2: And he married. He who? Scott.
1: Married.
2: I don't know. Uh, Uncle Bill told me years later.
1: He got married in 19...
2: 59. But the thing is that...
1: To somebody in Georgia?
2: Yeah, apparently so. But the only reason Uncle Bill... So back,
1: that marriage must have lasted half...
2: It, she had it and all. Uh, Uncle Bill said she had it and all, cause Uncle Bill said that that one. He said, he said if there's one thing that Scott Schmidt knows, it's known how to pick a wonderful woman. All, he said all three of y'all. The first one said she was priceless, really wonderful, hardworking woman.
1: And wreck her life. <laughs>
2: yeah, and and then he said this lady apparently had some money or or highly educated, uh, very attractive or whatever and and uh, he said he, she, he just stayed drunk and, and uh, this uncle Bill talking about this and and he said and he's calling my name Helen and says so she just said Mm-mm. and she had it or all. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it didn't last days or weeks or whatever. Mm. Sometime, I don't know, but he said she had enough and he might have went to jail, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, he did go to prison in 59. And you know, the adoption papers, the social worker said his brother had sent him to the hospital to keep him out of prison. When you were at the in Milledgeville and you met him, and then later, did you know why he was in Milledgeville? Do you know what he? Uh,
2: I was there. I was there when we were allowed certain uh, conferences. They'd have conferences where they this is the patient they they hear the information about somebody that's been a patient, uh, what their diagnosis is, uh, what the treatment plan. Uh, and a, were they even still there or not? I think he had, had left when I, I was in the group of students that had, he was one of the patients that they covered that, that day. And it said, chronic alcoholism without psychosis. That's what that diagnosis said. Chronic alcoholism without.
1: So you knew his diagnosis. I
2: did know his diagnosis, but ask me, did I know about alcoholism? I'd never seen an alcoholic, I don't think. Uncle Ernest, but I didn't see him. I didn't know the components of it. I didn't know the behaviors. I I didn't know what it was about. Yeah. No.
1: Now, when you guys were going out, you said they laughed, but did anybody say explicitly your instructors or classmates did anybody say Helen it's not a good idea to date someone who's been a patient
2: no they're a bunch of silly girls and and you know when he when we got back to Atlanta uh, and I'm in the dorm he comes dressed up like a a lawyer, Indian chief, I mean he was dressed to the hip and handsome, and that's when you know he, and that's when they're behind the curtains going, oh my gosh, he is some kind of neat. You know, he is some kind of cool. Oh my gosh, that's what you heard. Nobody said nothing about, nothing. we were so shallow. Just shower, I can only explain it like that.
1: But none of, nobody at Georgia State or at Georgia Baptist would have said, Helen, there's a policy against dating someone who has been a patient here, or would have said, this is a bad idea. No, they said he ain't crazy. (laughs)
2: They said he ain't crazy. That's
1: right. He ain't crazy not exactly a ringing endorsement and i'm not so sure about that scott Schmid would bounce from jail to prison to jail throughout georgia and louisiana and finally drink himself to death in a holiday inn in commerce georgia at the age of 46. i grew up to become an alcoholic the sister and brother i did not know grew up to become alcoholics All three of us found recovery after fits and starts. And I'm grateful to God that I got to know them all and to love them and to record them.
0: Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp-Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins & Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too.
1: A thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who has supported Man Listening from the very beginning.
0: Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear...
2: Incidentally, my little brother and I helped
0: the returning soldiers from Dunkirk fill sandbags to defend our island home. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks.